Hi, and welcome to SheQuest Podcast, a radio show that will help you not only claim your awareness around the concept of power, body, beauty, voice, and the arts of your life, but truly embody it. I'm your host, Estelle Thompson. You are here to widen your lens on the unfiltered and uncurated conversation we have in my SheQuest membership program. And best yet, you'll get real life, tangible tools to stay real and true to you. Each season, we will interview incredible, knowledgeable guests and You'll educate and uplift as we strive to live whole and not perfect. Welcome. Hi, SheQuest. Welcome to SheQuest Podcast. I'm your host, Estelle Thompson. I wanted this next series of episodes to be a flashlight into the side of the mother we never talk about. I wanted to discuss the different ways we relate to the mother in our projection to food. I wanted to address the epidemic of eating disorders and diet fads. I want to dive deep in how eating disorders are really saying personally about the repressed feminine coming to life. How can we become our own mothers and nourish all dimensions of our bodies, mind, and breath? Our guests this month have something to say about intuitive and mindful eating, body confidence, and the opportunity for a spiritual opening and navigating our relationship with food and nourishing our soul in general. You are in for a treat today. Uh, Jen is a repeat guest here at SheQuest. I loved our episode, Dare to Lead Menopause 101. It's like the best thing you've ever you've ever listened to. I really value all her knowledge, and I'm just so glad to have her back on the show uh, to talk about one of her other expertise, which is intuitive eating. Hi, Jen. Hi, Estelle. Thanks so much for having me back. Oh, stop! I'm just so happy you're here. Do you go by Dr. Jen? Should I like what's what's the best? No, just call me Jen. Okay, perfect. Um, I always start with the same question. As you know, what makes you feel alive today, Jen? Oh, you know, I I don't think my answer has changed from last time. <laughs> you know, anything that feels like an adventure, and that can be anything from trying a new recipe um, to dreaming about being able to travel again. Uh, adventure is what lights my soul up. So I try and find it in my everyday life uh, whenever I can. I love this. I feel this is like a bit of a theme for you this year. Am I Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I love it. Okay. So before we dive deep in your work as, you know, you've been on the show for talk to us about all about menopause, uh, but also there's a side of what you do. That's really about mindful eating. I love you guys have to follow Jen on Instagram. Like she has the best thing she posts. It's really like insightful and really super clever. And I just, I just love to follow you on Instagram, but, um, can you tell us about like your, um, you know, your kind of evolving story behind 
you know, intuitive eating. And I know it's linked to with, you know, you going through menopause and all this. So yeah, well, I mean, I from the first kind of 10 years of my practice as a dietitian and a naturopathic doctor, it was I would consider it kind of fairly conventional and standard in the way that I looked at food and used food and prescribed food. But there were really started to be a shift in kind of what I was noticing in myself and what I was noticing in the women that were coming in to work with me. Um, and that, you know, diets weren't working. So, you know, people weren't coming to me on their first diet, they were coming to me on their 10th diet. And ultimately, it was just this series of yo-yoing back and forth. Um, as I was struggling with my own midlife body issues, um, you know, rooted in a lifetime of, of body dissatisfaction, um, I was really starting to notice that too. And, and I can't even exactly remember how and when I was introduced to intuitive eating. Um, but you know, kind of shortly after it really resonated with me as the path that I needed to follow personally and professionally. So, um, for people who aren't aware what intuitive eating is, is, and it's different from mindful eating. So mindful eating is a generally a series of techniques or things that you can do to be more present in your experience of eating food. So it's how you eat, it's when you eat, it's where you eat. But intuitive eating is much more of a framework for your entire relationship with food and also your relationship with your body. So intuitive eating can include mindful eating, but it's much more comprehensive than just mindful eating. So it's really a framework for understanding your relationship with food and really helping to redefine it so that food is a part of what you do in your journey towards health, but it's not all that you do, which is kind of what diet culture has sold us on, especially women, that we need to spend most of our life thinking about planning for um, and controlling food in order to control our body. Thank you so much for making, I feel those terms and I've, I'm totally guilty of it. I use them like intuitive eating and mindful eating quite interchangeably and maybe, <laughs> and now like really clear. I mean, they are kind of in the same field, but you're right. Like, and would you say like, cause I, like I've been fascinated with this also as well. And from the intro, you know, I've been fascinating with too, with that relationship we have with the mother and kind of like mm -hmm. the earth and like that disconnection really with, with our intuition and with what feels good and what, what, you know, what doesn't. Um, but would you say, cause yeah, I was just hearing you saying the uh, definition, like, would you say mindful eating? It's like the actual experience of like, putting food in your mouth and like really tasting it and like taking your time. You know how they say like, you know, it's really yeah. nice. It's really good to like chew a lot and like all this stuff like versus intuitive eating, which is really like, okay, what does my body need right now? Like, what do I crave? What do you know? And there's a lot of overlap, right? I mean, it's not, um, it's not an either or kind of thing, but they're, they're definitely not interchangeable. And I think the biggest difference is that, like I said, mindful eating really focuses on the experience of eating the food, whereas intuitive eating would include that. But it's also about understanding your beliefs about food. So, you know, where and when and how do you did you come to believe what you think you know about food? What are your unconscious thoughts about food and your body? And how does that drive your actions around food? Um, how do you experience hunger? And how do you experience fullness? And what do you need in a meal to feel satisfied? Because we often think about it as just the food. 
but it's also about the environment. So I enjoy a meal a lot more if my dining room table is clear and if we're using the good plates than if I'm eating off of a paper plate on a really busy table, right? So um, <laughs> understanding um, the role that satisfaction plays in food with food is so important but intuitive eating also talks a lot about understanding um, you know had the role of genetics in body size and shape so 80 percent um, which is an estimate of course but somewhere around 80 percent of our body size and shape is genetic um, and that's not something that diet culture really talks about Right. It, diet culture will tell us that if you work hard enough and if you want it hard enough and if you have the willpower to make the quote unquote right choices, your body can be anything. But it can't. Right. So no more so than I can snap my fingers and change my eye color from you know green to blue or shrink my shoe size from a 10 to a six. There's only so much change that my body's capable of going through. So intuitive eating really tries to teach people that your body the body you have is the body you have and you can either work with it or you can work against it and working with it sometimes takes a lot of deprogramming because we have been programmed um, for you know kind of since our early teens that body changes aren't acceptable that we need to look a certain size and shape and that we need to do everything we can even if that means starving ourselves to try and achieve that so for women, especially the women that I work with in perimenopause and menopause, who may have been immersed in diet culture for 30 years, that takes a lot of work. And that's that's not just, you know, oh, I'm going to pay more attention to what's on my fork and how it tastes, right? So intuitive eating dives much, much deeper into the relationship with food. Well, I think there's so much, oh, There's it's so fascinating. Um, there's so much around like, personal will I find and like diet you know and like you're a failure basically if like you know but it's like so much deeper because like it's such a cultural phenomenon you know yeah. mm -hmm. so what yeah. if then I come to you and or like you know you say you work with like a lot of women like could you tell me like like how do you go about starting like to like you know, be more intuitive just about the things yeah. I put in my body and like, what is like the first step usually? Cause you've highlighted so many dimensions of it, right? So people often think about intuitive eating if they've heard anything about it as kind of the hunger and fullness way of eating. So, um, you know, but I often will try and steer people away from thinking that that's the starting point because yes, we wanted to learn how to tune into hunger and fullness and respond to those in the best possible way. But that's really the outcome that we're looking for. So, you know, I want people to understand their relationship with food. I want them to start thinking about food in a way other than being used to control their body. And the result of that is that they will be able to respond to their hunger and fullness cues intuitively. So the first thing that I often do is I get people to tell me their story. So, you know, I'll say, tell me your relationship with food. Tell me about when you first um, remember going on a diet. Tell me the first time that you feel like you experienced body shame. Um, you know, tell me about those feelings. And so it often often starts in, you know, teenage years or sometimes even in early childhood. Um, you know, people will say that they remember 
you know, always being bigger than their peers or feeling like everyone was looking at them differently or feeling like people treated them differently. And so that internalized body shame has been there sometimes for almost their whole life. So can we stay there for a bit? Cause like, yes. And I've, I personally like kind of journaled and like been to therapy and all that. Cause like, I, I feel like preteen, like even now, like for me, it was like nine years old. And like, I had seen my mom like yo-yo dieting in the eighties, like, you know, in the nineties. And I I think like I was counting my calories. I was like 11 years old, like no joke. It's a true story for so many of us. I mean, I think especially that um, women and kind of who are in their thirties and forties and fifties now, grew up with mothers who were really the pioneers of the diet generation because their parents before them were born in the war and lived through the war. So the idea, uh, you know, where they didn't even have reliable access to food. So they weren't really part of that diet generation. But, you know, I, I can certainly remember my mom and her friends going to Weight Watchers. I remember we had a calorie counting book in the kitchen. Um, you know, I remember my mom buying Weight Watchers bread and because everyone was doing it. Right. And, you know, and that goes back really young. Like I was five or six when that was happening. So, you know, from a very early age, the message, which was, you know, certainly not directed at me, but the message that I received was that, if you live in a bigger body, you need to do everything you can to change that. So that really is an unconscious thought that is rooted in shame. And, you know, shame is a terrible motivator for positive change, um, but it can fuel so much body dissatisfaction, right? So, you know, you can, women are never happy. And, and the real life example of this is, you know, how many times have you or someone you know or worked with looked back at a picture from 10 years ago or 20 years ago and thought, oh my goodness, I thought, you know, I wasn't happy with my body then, but what I wouldn't give to go back to that body now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? So it's not about your size and shape. Um, it's, it's about what's happening on the inside. Like, would you encourage, and I mean, like I do encourage to go see a professional, you know, to go seek out like help. Um, Mm. but like on your own, like I know I, there's an exercise we do in Chiquis and it's called, uh, I'm going to butch the, the actual title, but it's like the body, the painting body shame, something like that. But anyways, basically what you do is on on a canvas you write everything that you've ever said to your body or everything that yeah in your body and then you like you paint over it um which is a very yeah it's a very cathartic exercise um and I do other such you know techniques with private clients but it's like very cathartic and for me like basically I do it myself every three or four months only because like I give it to people. I have to do it, you know, myself as well. And Jen, like it's always the same freaking things that pop up. Mm-hmm. Even when like I try to surge deeper, but there's always these like very specific things that happen to me. Like 
public almost public shaming that happened to me mm. like for example I was like in grade five and I was on the diving board it was like summer and I was in bathing suit and like a little boy commented on my thighs and like I remember that moment because I was on the diving board like everybody could see me yeah. and like yeah. anyways, that moment it's still like so marked like I'm just and that was like grade five. So it was like, you know, I was 10 years old or something, but like, and then whenever I do these exercises, like it, that moment, like comes back all, all the time. Um, do yeah. you find like a, color, a correlation with that? Or have you seen a type of pattern like this? Yeah. I mean, I think that we, we all have a narrative about our life, right. And especially when it comes to the parts of us that feel broken, um, I, I think that we have told ourselves, um, you know, the parts of that story so many times to try and understand it that they're the first to come up. You know, I, I told my story on another podcast recently about how I remember very clearly my first moment of body shame was the summer that I was 12 and um, the Sears catalog at that summer the most popular bathing suit was a neon and black color blocked bathing suit in a number of colors and I had ordered the two piece and the one piece in green and neon green and black in the same size that I had worn the year before but I'd gone through puberty over the summer and so my body had changed tremendously over a year and when the bathing suit arrived and I turned and I put it on it didn't fit um, you know, or it didn't fit the way that I wanted it to. And I can remember as clear as day, I can remember the things that were on my dresser, looking in that mirror and feeling like there was something wrong with my body and I needed to change it and I needed to change it quickly. So, you know, I, and I think that almost every woman that I speak with has that moment, right? For you, it's the diving board. For me, it's the mirror. Um, for some women, you know, it's being in a changing room or, you know, it, it's just some kind of experience that is that first scar. Um, and diet culture just keeps reopening it, right? So we don't give ourselves the opportunity or the tools to heal unless we intentionally seek that out. Right. So it can be. And you mentioned, I love that you mentioned, Jen, the urgency of it, because that really, it really is there. There's like a sense of like, I need to do something now. Like, you yeah. know, I need to fix myself now. Like not, I don't know. Yeah. And then if you don't, it's like the self deprecating, like I'm just worthless and I'm just, I don't have any will. And what does that say about, you know, my temperament, my character, like, uh, it's just, yeah. it's just and so women still experience that, you know, like when I'm doing work with women, I will often, you know, in sessions or in messages get, oh, I tried on, I went to try something on at a store and it didn't fit the way I expected it to, or I had to get a different size or something I wore last summer doesn't fit. And it brings up that urgency so strongly for them, um, you know, and so one of the tools that I try and teach women is body kindness. And, you know, so being uh, body kindness can be either being body positive or body accepting or just body neutral. So, you know, so often when we see something that brings up a strong feeling, 
Um, you know, and we have that urgency to change it. But if you're actively engaged in a process of trying to change that, you have to have something else to fall back on. And so body neutrality is a great first step in saying that, you know, instead of saying my thighs are good or my thighs are bad, they're just thighs and they're part of my legs and they help me move forward. So really just trying to take the judgment out of it and the value judgment out of it. Um, can be can be a first step if the idea of body acceptance seems really scary because you know like I said the bodies we have are the bodies we have we can make them healthier but we shouldn't be using weight as a proxy for health because the two um, you know you don't need to achieve the thin ideal to be healthy and again it's that idea like if you're thin you're healthy like what a whole bunch of crap <laughs> I want to, sorry, I want to go back to body kindness because it's not a term that we often hear. And I, I love it because when, yeah, when I work with women too, I think this idea of like accepting your body, it's like, even that word sometimes like, like full acceptance, like, <laughs> it's like it feels so overwhelming, like as, as if, you know, so to take a more of a stance of like a neutrality. I really, I really love that. And that's really, I love having you on the show because I, I love seeing the perspective and the way you like look at things like that, that, that really speaks to me, that neutrality piece. And also, have you noticed how, like, I love, like, I'm so, I'm so kind to other women, like really yeah. easy for me to be like, that's beautiful. Like on bigger, skinnier, like all types of body types. But when it comes to me, it's like I find all the faults. <laughs> yeah. yeah and it, but of course, a really great first step is to start intentionally seeking out other body shapes and sizes and seeing the beauty in them and seeing what they can do. Um, you know, for a lot of women, um, you know, that in and of itself is a step that they've never taken because they have only sought out, they've only sought to look at body shapes and sizes of what they aspire to be. So, you know, I, I tell women all the time to do this with their social media feeds is unfollow all of those influencers and, you know, all of those direct sales reps who want to sell you shakes and, you know, all that kind of stuff, because chances are they were already living in smaller bodies to begin with. Right. So, you know, when somebody is telling you that you can achieve their body size and shape by doing what they did, it just doesn't work that way. So, um, because if we had a hundred women in the room eating the same way and moving their bodies in the same way, they would still all look different. So really seeking out and following other people who are doing amazing things like Jessamine Stanley, who does yoga, um, who is like the most amazing yogi, um, in a much larger body than we're used to seeing. Um, you know, there are ultra marathon runners. There are people doing pretty much every sport and every uh, form of joyful movement in at every size. So we need to intentionally seek those out so that we can stop reinforcing the belief that we need to be a certain body shape and size to do those things. Yeah. This is, this is really great. And um, so you, you've talked about, we've talked about the kind of narrative, you know, our personal narrative and like, it's really, 
I think that too, like not only on a psychological point, but just like being aware of your story and also like, you know, you've talked about genetics. So is that part of it when somebody like comes to you, like, you know, their lineage, their heritage, like, do you, do you speak of that a little? Yeah. I mean, I try and tell people that, um, you know, your, your hips are just as genetic as your shoe size. And so, you know, there's only a certain amount of, you know, there's only, there's limited potential to change that. And, but it often becomes the focus of women's efforts, right? So, you know, it would have in diet culture, it's called, you know, your problem areas. And so it's kind of where women will focus on. It's like, oh, I have flabby arms. I have big hips. I've got a belly. I've got whatever. And everybody has something, right? So, um, because that's just the beauty and the diversity of the human body. Right. So, um, you know, we have people who are short and people who are tall and people have curly hair and people have dark skin and light skin. So it's just part of body diversity. So, um, you know, I think that if we I try and phrase it that way so that I can get them to see that they are just one body in a sea of bodies um, and that they can control the inside much more than they can the outside. Um, so I think I forgot the original question. <laughs> Oh, well, I just want to, I guess I just wanted to go back at, um, you know, if somebody came to see you and I think the first thing you mentioned was about, you know, their story, yeah, like, yeah. the narrative. And then I think from what I got from that is like, okay, maybe that's when you, you'd look into genetics. Um, yeah. but I guess to go back to my original question, like what other, um, what are their steps that you take you know and and I'm also wondering is something that has been brought up in other kind of body love uh podcasts of mine where like are we ever healed <laughs> from you know this like disconnection or like I'm you know I think you know me by now I'm very I feel like hopeful about that and like striving for that but um so maybe you can just um just tell us more about like the experience of like you know, healing from such a big, you know. Yeah. I mean, to get, to get back to the steps, uh, generally there are two um, kind of experiences or, or descriptions of women who come to me. The first is kind of women who have maybe heard a little bit about intuitive eating. They're interested in learning more, but they're still terrified to leave diet culture behind. And so for those women, I say, let's just start by dipping your toes. So um, I have a Facebook group that's a free community for people to learn about everyday intuitive eating. Um, there are some amazing books out there. So in the, the book Intuitive Eating and a workbook by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Reich, who are the dietitians who wrote the books. There are podcasts. There are uh, blogs. Like There's all kinds of ways that you can start to dip your toes in without feeling like you have to be all in. And um, that can be helpful for women who are you know, not quite ready to, to be all in. Um, and then the other women are maybe women who have been either consciously or unconsciously dipping their toes for a few years, maybe. So they come to me and they're like, I am done with dieting. I can't even think about opening my Weight Watchers app. I don't want to think about counting calories anymore. And I know it's going to be hard, but I'm just ready to do the work. So, you know, for the, and those are two really different experiences and two different conversations. But for the women who, like I said, who are, want to dip their toes, um, I think there are lots of great resources and books and podcasts and groups. And then for the women who are ready to deep dive, 
a lot of the conversations are around their story, their experiences with food, and really trying to bring them back into their body because diet culture takes us out of our body, right? It says, okay, you need to choose your food based on how many calories, what the macros are, when you last ate, you know, all how much you've exercised. Whereas when you go back into your body, you're trying to listen for those subtle cues of when am I hungry? How hungry am I? What do I want to eat? What does comfortable fullness feel like? What does, what do I need to feel satisfied in a meal? And, um, you know, what adds to my satisfaction and what takes away from my satisfaction? So that's a process that just can't be rushed, right? I, I usually tell women that um, I think that 12 months um, and that doesn't mean seeing me like every week or something like that or, you know, whoever they're working with. But I, I generally think that 12 months of some kind of guided support, um, either one on one or in a group, can be really helpful to keep you moving forward because it can get really um, it's really easy to get drawn back into diet culture. Right. So if you're not surrounded by women who are on that path with you, it's just so easy to fall back into the crowd. So do you offer this, the community aspect of your work you do is more one-on-one? Or? Well, I do a bit of both, um, yeah. depending on where people live. So people in the Maritimes and Alberta can work with me one-on-one. Um, their intuitive eating is woven into everything that I do with my program, uh, my online program and in menopause. And in January, every January, I run a non-diet resolution intuitive eating program, online program, to try and keep people out of diet culture. Um, with those pesky New Year's resolutions. So, oh my God, I love this a non diet, <laughs> a non diet New Year's program. This is too good. <laughs> I love it because you're right. Like, I feel like it's so hard. Like, even like looking at my my journey, just like on a personal level, and it's so easy to go back to like. I don't know, thinking a certain way and like, Absolutely. you know, in an instant. Yeah. And I, again, like that's something I'm really taking from this, from this conversation is like, like how quick do we want to, you know, fix ourselves? Like, and mm-hmm. just like to think how long it's taken for us to <laughs> get where we are. And then in like, you know, it's like, and then, then you said, like, if you work at it at least a year, you know, like that seems like such a realistic, you know, yeah. timeline, you know, and why don't we give ourselves like that permission to do so? Do you know? I mean, it's, we're a quick fix culture, right? And, um, you know, and, and in the idea of being able to eat intuitively is a really foreign concept. Um, but I, I like to use the analogy of breathing, right? So we are born knowing how to breathe. We do it without thinking. Our body adjusts as necessary. So when we're being quiet, we breathe less. When we're being active, we breathe more. Um, We don't count the number of breaths unless there's something wrong. So we already, there's a lot that we already do intuitively. Um, And yes, it's regulated by a part of our brain that, you know, we don't have to think about, but I think that the analogy still works in that, you know, babies are intuitive eaters, right? Uh, Young children are intuitive eaters. And so we were born intuitive eaters and we can get there again. Um, But it, it definitely takes some deprogramming. Yeah. And I, I've seen you post about, um, the baby, the baby analogy. And that's actually an analogy I use in yoga, like all the time. 
<laughs> so I really connected with that because it's like, and that leads to my next question. It's tell us ways that we can like, because it's like the great unlearning really, mm-hmm. you know, like unlearning what like our parents are, have taught us. And like, I mean, even like children are just so vulnerable to that. Like, for example, and this is a silly example, but, um, like my husband doesn't like cucumbers and tomatoes. And by the way, like who doesn't like cucumbers and tomatoes? And but now guess what happened? Like our kid, like it's thank God he loves cucumbers, but he yeah. won't touch tomatoes. You know, like and I'm, I'm like, and I keep telling my husband, like, stop like saying being out loud about it. It's okay. You don't have to like them. Just like yeah. but like it's like these little things that we really teaching our kids how to approach food and how to approach like and that's another thing and I don't want to get into it too much but like I remember going into college by myself and like I was completely lost on what to eat like I was for the first time in my life I was like I can eat whatever the frig I want you know (laughs) I I still remember like it was so traumatizing I'm like oh my god and I had no I didn't know, you know, it's again, it's not like, I wish they would teach this in school, you know, like, yeah, I mean, and I think that our generation, well, I think I'm a bit older than you, but um, I think that our generation, especially um, was somewhat disconnected from food because I mean, like, I remember when we first got a microwave and I remember like the novelty of TV dinners and, you know, so there was a lot of non cooking that was part of my childhood um, that, you know, I didn't really understand the impact of until I got to be a lot older. So I think that teaching our kids by example and not with rules is the only way for it to become part of their, you know, beliefs that influence their actions. Um, but I agree. I wish that it was taught in schools more. And is there like, if there's like one thing, like, how do you think we can like just unlearn what we've thought, like just one thing, I know it's so complex, but like one thing we can start today to intuitively, like just, just be in our bodies more. The, the most important thing is to eat with intention and not distraction. So, you know, when we're at a computer or when we're in a car or, you know, we're not, we're not being mindful, but it's also really difficult to pay attention to those hunger and fullness cues if our brain is being distracted. So that's the number one thing that I try and encourage people to do is to eat sitting down at a table without distraction and ideally with other people because eating with other people enhances our satisfaction. Um, So yeah, if I had to pick one thing, that would be it. I love it. And I got the title of our podcast from it. (laughs) I love it. Eat with intention. I love this phrase, not distraction. I just, I love it. You're such a delight. You're just a ball of knowledge. I just want to take you and have you just close to me every day. Um, where, um, I just, lastly, I don't want to, I, cause you were just on and such. So I, we know your mantra and your flower and all that, but is there, would you be able to share with us some resource, perhaps in the show notes, things that, um, 
somebody that was completely new to uh, intuitive eating could uh, like, for example, what's a, like your favorite book that you've ever read on intuitive eating? I think you mentioned. That. Yeah, I, I like it. And I definitely will send some links. Um, but I think that the, the intuitive eating book, which was written actually in the mid nineties, it's on its fourth edition, um, kind of the original book in, and based on the principle, which teaches the principles that um, I use and, the, and is part of the training that I did. Um, I think is a really great place for people to start. All right. And we'll make sure to have that in the show notes. And where can we find you? Okay. Talk to us about, so do you do that every new year, the non-dieting? Every January, the non-diet resolution program uh, opens up and it's going to uh, be updated this year for the first time in a couple of years. So I'm excited about that. Um, but people really are best to follow me at menopause.nutritionist uh, on Instagram um, or sign up for my newsletter because my newsletter is where kind of everything goes to first. And uh, there's going to be some programming coming out, especially around intuitive eating for midlife, um, probably end of October, early November. So stay tuned for that. Ooh, I'm excited. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. Bye. Thanks, Estelle. Bye. Bye.